I don't know if you've noticed, I certainly have, but there's been a lot of marching in the news lately. Marching on Lock Street in a riot a few weeks ago. Late at night, rocks being picked up and thrown through the windows of stores. Some of the restaurants that many of us frequent, people we know who run and work in those stores, their lives kind of upended and business filling the streets. There was a march yesterday, not just in Washington, D.C., but throughout the United States, and in fact, in many cities around the world, as students led a protest and a demand for gun control in the states, but elsewhere in the world, too, for an end to gun violence, for the freedom to be able to go to school and not feel threatened. And if you've been watching the news here in Hamilton, there's a couple marches scheduled for today on Lock Street. One coming with far-right politics and one coming with far-left politics and coming together. And these two groups have done this a couple times in our city in different places. And and there's been friction around them before. And the police anticipate there will be some friction there today. Marching. (laughs) Protesting. Making your voice heard. It actually is something that has been around for a very, very long time. Our kids came in this morning marching, waving palm branches. And we have an idea of this march being a very celebratory, gleeful thing. I mean, that's why the kids lead the way, right? It's joyful. It's a celebratory day. But we miss the political stuff that was in the midst of this. A hundred-some years before Jesus' times, there was a revolt in Jerusalem and in that area led by the Maccabees. And the Maccabees led a very violent revolt against the government that was leading them at the time. And they came into Jerusalem triumphant after they had kicked everybody out, throwing palm branches on the ground as they came into the city. Those palm branches became a symbol of the overthrow of the government, especially an oppressive government, that the rightful rulers, the Jewish people, would regain their place among the nations and they would be a powerful people. And those palm branches lining the way gave symbol to that overthrow of the government. And so when we hear Jesus walking marching into the city, riding on that colt, and we think all these innocent images were missing the underlying political message that was being given to the people of Jerusalem. A king is coming. A king is coming into the city who's going to overthrow the Roman Empire, who's going to kick the Romans out and restore order to this place, and we will be a great nation again. It was a very loaded political demonstration. If we're to engage this text, we need to hear in it the conflict that's happening between multiple kingdoms and powers that are going on on that first Palm Sunday. And it's a, it's a question that should be sinking into us, not just because we read the scripture text, but because we're also journeying through a week where we remember Christ who died. And we anticipate coming together again and celebrating Christ who has risen. And those are kingdom moments. Those are powerful confrontations with the powers not only of this world, but of the devil himself. 
We began this prayer and talking about this prayer, talking about your kingdom come, your will be done. And this day we are asking whose kingdom? Just before the passage I read, the last section, the last part of that walking into Jerusalem, it says this, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, all those palm branches down, all the crowds running around singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? There is a sense in, in that time uh, of something's happening and it stirs the whole city of Jerusalem. It gets that whole city kind of up in arms and there's a buzz going on and people are running around and if they had Twitter, there'd be posts going all over the place on it. They're trying to figure out what's going on and who's this and did you see it? And somebody would have their little camera out giving a Facebook Live update of what's going on. Right? The whole city wants to know who is this? And it's not just because they've heard things about Jesus before. It's because there is a very political statement being made about the kingdom of God arriving in Jerusalem. It upsets the environment. That word stir has the idea of not just sitting down and stirring your iced tea. It's kind of a, a, a bubbling over type of word. It's, it's an anxiety-producing word. It's that sense that something's not right, and you, you feel in the pit of your stomach, and there's something happening here that's out of our control. It's out of our control. You know, that's actually what happens as this text continues to unfold. There's a sense of things getting out of control. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. I'm going to pause right there just so we hear the context. The money changers at that time were not just being, uh, providing a convenience for people coming from out of town. They actually rigged up the temple system so that the only offering that would be acceptable is if you used the local money. And so if you were a Jew who was coming to the temple to worship God from outside of the Jerusalem area, you had to exchange your money in order to be able to give your offering at the temple. And these money changers were known for charging a huge transition fee. So you would give them your foreign money and they would jack up the exchange rate to their benefit and they would make money off of you as you were trying to make your offering. And the same thing with the benches of those selling doves. The doves were used as one of the offerings, and you had to use the doves that were sold there in the temple in order to give your offering. And so people who were coming to confess their sins or people who were coming for the purification rites after giving birth to a child had to bring this offering. And as they came before the temple to give the offering, people were there selling the doves. Supply and demand, baby. Let's jack up the price. We've got the whole monopoly of the supply. And so Jesus walks into the temple and says, enough. He screams and enough as he flips those tables over. And he accuses the people, you have made the house of God into a den of robbers. Verse 
Instead of welcoming people into the kingdom of God, instead of making it easy for people to come before the Lord, you have erected financial, economic, and social barriers to keep them out and to take advantage of them. And then we have a confrontation. The coming kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ confronting those who have taken over God's people. This should scare us. Because that kingdom of God in that temple was being run by people who had the scriptures, who had been raised in the scriptures from their birth, who had known the scriptures, who knew how to use the scriptures, who, who taught the scriptures. And yet, they went astray and they took advantage of the people who were most in need of God's grace. And when we hear that Jesus' first response of coming in with his kingdom is not to go to the Roman Empire and confront them and not to go out there on the streets of Jerusalem and do a transformation of the world, but to enter the temple of God and confront the sin in the temple of God, we should fall down on our knees and go, Oh Lord, have mercy upon us, sinners as we are. There is a pause here on Palm Sunday as the kingdom of God enters the temple that puts us in a posture as we enter this week, not of joyful, glad, gleeful celebration. Isn't it great? Jesus has come as king. But that one that should make us all get down and say, Jesus, I need your kingdom in my life because it's not there right now. There are parts of me that are resistant to your kingdom. And in fact, there are parts of me that don't want to share your kingdom with anybody else. I want to keep it for myself. I don't want to be confronted by anybody else's brokenness. Keep them away from me. And we live our lives and we build our lives in a ways that we keep the suffering of others far away from us. And Jesus, on this Palm Sunday, calls his church to account. house is not to be a den of robbers, but a house of prayer. It strikes me, all the great plans we have, and we have tons of good stuff happening in the church. You saw some of those reports this morning, and, and we go, wow, this is a lot of reports today. There is a lot going on. There's more going on than what was shared. But the fundamental posture of God's people and the fundamental act of mission in the world is one of prayer. Praying for the world, praying with the world, inviting the world to come in and pray and seek God's face, becoming a place where it's open for all people of all nations to come in and seek the face of the Lord. That we remove as many of those barriers as possible so that people can continue to come in and seek the face of the Lord. Some have asked, why are we paying attention to the Lord's Prayer during Lent? Because so many times during Jesus' journey towards the cross, he calls people to prayer, including this one on Palm Sunday. The great mission of the church is to intercede before God on behalf of the world. We read Romans 8, as I mentioned last week. We find that the Spirit, right now, is interceding with the Father in, in wordless, wordless groans. 
things that we don't even know how to pray for, the Holy Spirit is at work right now praying for us. And if you continue in Romans 8, you discover that Jesus right now is at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. This house of prayer. To be a house of prayer for all nations. That all people can come in. That is the coming of God's kingdom. Here and now. This text continues. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did. I mean, Jesus is walking around and healing people. Healing lame people. They're starting the walk. And and deaf people are hearing. And blind people are seeing. and, And Jesus starts healing them. And the kids, the kids in the community are delighting in this. And they're shouting. And they're running around. And... They're not following the rules and they're just saying, Hosanna to the son of David, the coming kingdom of David. When all that's happening, the chief priests and the teachers of the law are indignant. They're ticked off. Who does this man think he is? He's not one of us. Who does this man think he is coming in and healing in here and throwing our tables over? Who does this man think he is letting all these kids run around and praise God? I don't know about you, but as I read these stories of Palm Sunday, I keep coming back to a place of having to pause and stop. In what ways do I get frustrated with other people's lives being transformed and having to listen to their stories? I mean, sometimes we love to hear it when it's a nice, shiny story up front. But when it's a messy story in process, many of us don't have the time of day to listen to it. Oh, you again. We're back to that point again, are we? Okay. Yeah, you've told me your life's changed before, and then you went back again to the same things you were doing before. Okay, God's changed you? Great. And we kind of patronize them, and we kind of tolerate them, but... Do we actually make room for those stories of God transforming people's lives in front of our eyes? Do we actually get close enough to people who are broken and suffering to see God transform people who are broken and suffering? And what about the kids? I mean, I loved it that that we've got three of our youth up there talking about AOYC and that Adele sharing the story of how her life was transformed last year and God's still transforming it. We need a whole lot more of that. And the kids walking in this morning, nice and orderly fashion, by the way, (laughs) with, with these palm branches, in some sense, they should be walking around us every week, shouting, interrupting, Hosanna in the highest, God has come. Jesus has come. Don't you see the good news? Can't you see what's happening? He's changing everything. His kingdom has come, and everything is changing. This is great news. And the kids will lead the way. It's Jesus' response to those who are all worried about law and order and structure in this setting. Uh, They want propriety, and Jesus is saying, but it's out of the mouth of children that God ordains praise. Folks, we got a lot of children. We need to continue to look for ways to make room for them to praise the Lord in our midst, to teach us and show us how to respond to God's grace. They get it. 
They've been getting it for centuries. <laughs> the kids will lead the way. The question this passage really drives us to is not just whose kingdom is coming, but do we really want Jesus' kingdom in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our world? Do we really want Jesus' kingdom to come? Back, uh, back about two decades now, I was sitting in a room at Calvin Seminary getting ready for my interview to be allowed to exhort. Before you become ordained in the CRC, you can't preach, but you can exhort. And, and they give you a little license. It's actually a little, little piece of paper that fits nicely in your wallet. Not that I've had anyone ever ask me for that. Uh, but there is a license to be able to exhort in the CRC. And, and when I went through that interview, I was asked the question, what's the second coming have to do with life here and now? And I talked about longing for the second coming and hoping that Christ would return. And afterwards, when I went back into the room and was talking with them, one of the people said, you know, you're a little too young to long for the second coming that much. You have life to live. And it stopped me short. Really? Is that the case? And I've wrestled with that for a bit, and, and I'm convinced that that person was off. There is something in all of us that, that we should long for the coming of God's kingdom. Even before AOYC gets here, sorry youth, but it would be better if Jesus came back. Even before we get to the Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services, which are going to be phenomenal, a phenomenal time of immersing in God's word. And before we get to Easter Sunday celebration, it would be better if Jesus came back. I'm doing two weddings later this spring, and folks, it would be better if Jesus came back before their weddings. Not because their relationships are bad. <laughs> They're really good. Do we long for Jesus' kingdom to come? Because it is the best thing that could happen. Do we long for the coming of Jesus' kingdom in our own lives? Because that's what will set us free from our sins. That's when the brokenness will be healed. That's when we will be made whole. Do we long for Jesus to come in our marriages and in our friendships? Because that's when the, the joy of the Lord will overflow. Do we long for the kingdom of God to come here on the corner of Charlton and Hess? Do we long for the kingdom of God to come on Lock Street? or on Main Street, or on Bay Street, or in the power halls of the world, and on the back roads of the war-torn countries of the world. Because the best thing that could happen is for the kingdom of God to come here and now. Not by our might, not by our power, not by our strategy, but by Christ returning. It's really profound as we enter this week to juxtapose Jesus coming into Jerusalem that first time with, these, with the verses that come at the end of Scripture. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I wonder what would happen if that became part of every prayer we offered. Lord, we pray for the marches that are happening on Lock Street today. We pray that you might guard against the violence that's there. And Lord, may your kingdom come. Amen, Lord Jesus, please come. 
And when we pray for those who are in the hospital, and we pray for those who are facing death's door, and we, we pray for those who are just beginning life, like little Rosalie Van Heusen, that we would pray in all circumstances and at all times with this being our period to our prayer. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The real challenge in this amen and why it is a terribly troubling amen is because of where the catechism ends up. What does that little word amen express? Amen means this shall truly and surely be. God's kingdom will truly and surely come. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. Oh, I wanted the catechism to end on a high note. (laughs) And it ends on a note of going, yeah, that's right, the mirror's in front of me. I don't fully desire God's kingdom even as I pray for it. Yet this is the assurance. Even if my desire is off, even in those spaces where I don't fully want God to come back yet, his kingdom is coming. He will remain faithful when I am faithless. He will provide the way for his kingdom to come even when we make a mess of things. His kingdom will surely come. Are we willing to see it? Are we willing to embrace it? Are we willing to live within it? Let's pray. Our Father, it is your kingdom, the kingdom you have given to your Son, that you have spoken of through your Spirit, that you move in our hearts even now to stir us up as you stir Jerusalem up. And we might look at your Son and go, who is this? And, And what is this kingdom he brings? May you evoke such questions in us this week. Wake us from our complacency. Wake us up from the ways we are content with building our own kingdoms. Shatter our kingdoms if you need to in order to build your kingdom within us. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.